Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Good evening, church. It is a blessing to be with you. I always look forward, uh, anytime I have the opportunity to spend a few minutes with you. Uh, this is a wonderful congregation that I have been familiar with, affiliated with, was a member with, a long, or a member of a long, long time ago. Um, and I always love coming back here. You know, it's always a blessing when you walk into an assembly of God's people and there are folks in the midst who go, I knew you when you were a little old guy. That just, it reminds me of a lot of things. It reminds me, one in particular, of my heritage. It reminds me that my parents, uh, even back when I was a little guy, were bringing me to worship service and I'm indebted for that. I'm grateful for it. Uh, that influence that my parents have had on my life. Uh, I look around, I see a lot of friends. I love, I love your preachers. I love their families. I love many of you. I, I, I look around, a number of you I, I've known for 20 plus years, the Dehertys. And, uh, I've, uh, Jared and Leah, I was a long time ago, I was running around the old West Huntsville building with those guys. And uh, I see some of our folks from, from Hatton, Emily and, and uh, I just, I really do. It is a joy to be in the midst of brethren, but I, I count it an extra added measure of joy to be with you guys. And uh, you're a blessing to my life, and I thank you for that. Uh, I want to ask you at this time, if you would, to open up your Bibles. We're going to start in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20. And I, I guess my custom, uh, f- more times than not, is that I, I do more probably expository preaching. I, it's just the way that I study and such most of the time. Um, but tonight, I, I felt, let's go a little bit different route with one of my favorite topics. So for the time that I have, I'm going to use this time to pull from a number of different passages. And really, if you leave here tonight motivated, kind of like with a, a shot of hope, Tonight, that, that's my intention. We're going to talk about the assurance of salvation. To do this, I want to kind of prep our minds with something from history. I don't know, has anybody ever been to the Golden Gate Bridge, gone to California and seen the Golden Gate Bridge? It was years ago I had the opportunity to put my eyes on this magnificent structure. And, and I can still, the imprint in my mind, I can see this, this beautiful bridge. 1933, which that should trigger some of our minds to some historical events during that time period. Namely, you know, we're talking about the time period of the Great Depression. So tough times, and yet there was still things that were of progress. And so it was intended that they were going to build this bridge there at San Francisco. And... The approximate value or the expenditure, the budget was going to be $35 million to build this bridge. We, we understand we couldn't touch that in today's society, but in that day and age, that's a lot, a lot of money. And at that time, the industry standard was that for every million dollars spent, they expected to lose one human life as far as the workers were concerned. And so on some big project like this, the expectation was they were probably going to lose 35 people in the process of building this bridge. Seems pretty high, doesn't it? 
So the lead man on the job was a man by the name of Strauss. And Strauss implemented something that was far greater than anything ever seen in this industry or as far as construction is concerned. He purchased a $130,000 net that would span the work area. And so what it did, what its intention was, because of the heights, and another added danger was the winds, the gusts of wind being up so high, they were afraid it could take a person, one of the steel workers, and they would plummet to their death below. And so he had this net constructed that was large enough to span how far they were working and, and would expand the width so that even if a large gust of wind took one of those steel workers off, they would still land in the net. For its intended purpose, 19 workers' lives were saved. Now that's amazing to me. It's not the most amazing part of this. What The most amazing part is what it did for the morale of the workers. When they experienced security, when they understood safety, they worked harder. And the Golden Gate Bridge was finished four times faster than was ever expected. Why? Because these people who could work and they understood their security, they worked even harder. It boosted their morale and they accomplished the work that they had been given to do. We're going to talk tonight about spiritual security in Christ Jesus. And I want to tell you something. You know, our, our mission in life is, is the, the spreading of the gospel and, and telling people the message of Jesus Christ and the saving of souls. And I want to tell you something. It's difficult to do that and be motivated to do that when, when you're not even sure about yourself. My God intended for every single one of us who are in Christ Jesus to know that you know that you know that you know that you're saved. And to live with that mindset so that you could impress, so that you could influence, so that you could help the minds of other people to follow suit and to know the joy of salvation. That's what we want to talk about this evening. Now to do this, like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to pull from a number of different passages. I'm reminded of John chapter 10 and verse number 10 that Jesus came, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, I have come that, I, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He wanted us to know what life in Christ Jesus was like. There's a common theme that I find throughout the New Testament especially. And it's the idea that God repeatedly will tell different groups of people th these words, don't fear. Here's what I mean. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you, there are certain things that I, I guess I, I'm afraid of. I don't know about you. Um, I, I'm afraid of heights to a certain degree. Now, I'll go on a roller coaster ride that doesn't bother me, but put me on the edge of a mountain and I start to get a little bit this is uneasy. You, you have me climb maybe a power. I've climbed a 20-foot pole before, and I was extreme. I had a grip on it. I was nervous. I was afraid. There's certain things that we're afraid of. There's example after example I could think of. I'm thinking of, uh, you remember when the, 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 the scene with the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, and the Bible says when the angel appeared to them that... The, uses these words, they were greatly afraid. 
And in, and in verse number 10 of Luke chapter 2, through this angel, they were told, don't be afraid. I, I bring glad tidings of great joy. Um, I'm thinking about passages like Matthew chapter 28, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the women there. And the angel tells them, don't be afraid. Jesus Christ whom you are seeking, He's not here. He's risen. What's, what's the message? Don't, don't be afraid. In, in, in the calling of the Apostle Peter in Luke chapter 5, do you recall that they're in the boat and, and Jesus has preached to the people on the shore and, and then He tells Peter, let's go fishing and there's this great catch of fish and, and there's a moment to where Peter, he, he realizes he's in the boat with this great man and he hits his knees and the Bible says he's trembling. And Jesus looks at Peter and He says, don't be afraid, I've come for you. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. A number of passages, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, that, that Christ has removed the fear that you and I may experience in life in Him. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7, didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. So, so we see this common theme that is found, especially in the New Testament. Don't be afraid in Christ Jesus. Don't be afraid. Why is that the case? Because sometimes fear can lead to something that is very dangerous, and that is the seeds of doubt. You ever been there? Are you there? If I were to ask you this question this evening, here you go. Look me in the eye. If you were to die this evening, would you go to heaven? You know the common response that we get when you ask that question? Well, preacher, I hope so. I hope so. Hope in Christ Jesus is this beautiful thing. It is an expectation built upon the promises of God. And when I understand that hope, it gives me that assurance that I'm to have every day of my life in Christ. So, so Acts chapter 20. Let's think about the Apostle Paul for just a minute. And what we're going to do over the next few minutes is we're going to draw some things from this beloved disciple of Christ that you and I look up to. We esteem highly for his example. Let's not forget this. Paul struggled. He had a struggle like you and I along the way. He struggled with fear. Read, read Acts chapter 18 sometime when he was in Corinth. He dealt with fear. He dealt with sin. We understand that. Right? He was the chief of sinners. He, 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 he knew his past and so on. Okay, so that's why when we approach Paul's writings and things that deal with the Apostle Paul were drawn in because we go, okay, we're talking about a man, a man who was filled with confidence and hope and assurance, his security in Christ. So Acts chapter 20, uh, we read there that he is called for the Ephesian elders, wants to, to have a meeting with these elders and 
And you remember he's in a hurry, the Bible says. It's actually in verse number 16 of Acts chapter 20. He's in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem. He wants to be there for Pentecost. But but he's going to take this time to give some exhortation to these elders. I I just, I, I imagine in my mind what this meeting must have looked like. I've been in the presence of brethren who I wonder if I will ever see them again. And you hug and you shed tears and you tell each other, If not on this side of eternity, we'll meet again on the other side. You've had those experiences. I've had that experience. He's there with these beloved Ephesian elders. He's exhorting them. And he's also telling them, "I, I know what's ahead for me in my life. And so Acts chapter 20, you look at verse number 22. He says, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying chains and tribulations await me. What's, what, what is that like? Guess what? Now, you, maybe you've had people give you warnings along the way. Uh, if you follow this path, this is, this is where it's going to lead. And I'm warning you, and, and maybe you heed the warning, maybe you don't. Here he's saying, God Almighty has revealed... What's just around the corner? Do you remember what's just around the corner? It's not, but just a little bit further. He's going to be in Jerusalem. He's going to have a mob of people who have him there and they're beating him, wanting to kill him. When he gets to chapter 22, uh, having been bound by the Roman officials at the barrack stairs, he's going to turn and he's going to tell them his salvation story because he wants them to be saved. But nonetheless, here he's being warned. Hey, guy, the Holy Spirit is testifying. Chains and tribulations, hardships just around the corner. Get ready. So verse number 24, listen to this. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. So that I may finish my race with joy. In the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Is that confidence or what? One of my best friends in this life is a missionary to the country of Russia. Right now he's working. He's been in the Ukraine. Right now he's helping some of the Ukrainian brethren who have fled to Poland. He worships with us at the Hatton Church of Christ. His name is Marlon Rutherford. I look up to him. I've been to Russia with him. I was there in 2013. One of the conversations that we had, it really motivated me and it helped me to really see the perspective of confidence. He said, you know, Chris, I'm not afraid to preach in Russia. If I die here for the name of the Lord, then so be it. Assurance of your salvation. This here is not all there is. There is life beyond. And here Paul says, I'm being warned, if you go here, it's going to be trouble, it's going to be chains. And he says, but I want to tell you something, none of these things move me. I don't count my life dear to myself, but I'm going to finish this race. Listen, I'm not just going to finish my race. I I understand that there's some people that 
That's just, that's the approach, you know, I just got to get to the end. He says, there's going to be an attitude in my life. And it's going to be an attitude that's, it's a the fruit of the Spirit. It's joy. Whatever time, whenever it comes, I'm going to approach that point, that transition phase, death to life, everlasting. He says, I'm going to finish my race with joy. No regrets. Assurance. Confidence. I love Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 1, don't you? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things... Don't you love some of the other translations? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The confidence in things not seen. That's beautiful, isn't it? To have assurance, confidence, hope. Here he says, okay, the way that I'm going to approach life, if there are barriers, if there are obstacles, if there are bumps in the road, whatever, whatever's out there, I'm going to finish my race here with joy. The joy that's in Christ Jesus. Right, church? Hmm. So, so the question that I have to back up and I go... Okay, so how do you do that? Because I get distracted. I don't know about you, but I get distracted. My, my son, uh, he's 17 years old, his, his passion is motocross. So his sport is he loves to race motorcycles. And uh, I, I didn't grow up racing dirt bikes, but, but I've learned a lot having a young man, uh, a son who loves to race motorcycles and dirt bikes. And he races hair scramble. Uh, he ra- woods races, hour and a half, two hour races. They are a test of endurance. And so, uh, I, one of the things that he has taught me is this. He has, he has taught me, Daddy, you are going so fast when you are racing through the hills, climbing hills, racing through the woods. He says, you cannot be looking at your front fender. If you are looking at your front fender, it's too late. You're gonna crash. You know what he said? The, the theme for his racing is this. Look ahead. You better be looking way up ahead so that you have time to respond and navigate as you're riding. What's that? De- it's dealing with where your focus is. You want to know where the seeds of doubt and fear and discouragement come from? It comes from a loss of focus. When my focus becomes my past... Doubt and discouragement have a way of entering my life. When my focus becomes this world, doubts enter my life. But when my, listen, don't, here's, here's what you take from this lesson. When my focus is Jesus Christ, I look, I navigate, And I race with an attitude of joy in this life. No matter, like Paul, no matter, no matter what's just around the corner, I'm going to finish my race with joy. That's assurance. All right, I told you we'll take a few passages. Let's go to the book of Romans. It's hard to preach on confidence and assurance without at least touching on Romans chapter 8. Here's all you have to do. If if you're having a just a down, discouraged, maybe it's just a cloudy Weak, and you just, you know, some days you just wake up and you can't put your finger on what it is that's wrong, but you just go, I just don't, it's just, it's just not happening. I'm just not happy. I'm not joyful. 
Here's what you do. Just open up the book of Romans and go to chapter 8 and read it, and then read it again. You're going to walk away and you're going to go, yep, there's my focus right here. So Romans chapter 8, I, I'm not going to read, you could read the whole chapter, but I just want to bring out it. Now, this is the writings of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. I just want to bring out a few things. Here you go. You ready? Fill yourself up with the Word of God. Romans chapter 8. Let's start, look at verse number 1. There is therefore now, what's that say? How much is no? None whatsoever. None. No condemnation for who? Now wait, this is important. You can't leave out this part. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? In Christ Jesus. What a theme of the writings of the Apostle Paul. To be in Christ. That's spiritual security. How do you say, how do I get into Christ? Well, just a chapter or so earlier in chapter 6, verse number 3 Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, he says, were baptized into his death? So, um, faith, repentance, confession, baptism, I am baptized. There's a lot that happens in that water when a person by faith understands the remission of sins by the blood of Jesus Christ and they contact that blood in that water. They go down, they're buried and they're risen a new creature in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, he says, just a couple chapters later, he says, there's no condemnation for those of us who us, he's talking to, he's talking to early Christians in Rome, us who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? If you're not, You need to give some extreme, I mean, some serious thought to your eternity. Listen to Rob Whitaker make a statement yesterday that I tell you, I've thought about it and thought about it since he said it. You can't be any more lost than lost. Think about it. If you are here lost this evening then that means you are without assurance, you are without hope. But here's the beautiful thing. You have breath in your lungs, your heart is beating, your mind, you can this evening repent of your sins and confess the precious name of Jesus Christ and be baptized for the remission of your sins in Christ. That's what we're talking about. There is, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ? I've got hope. I've got assurance because of that. We could skip just a little bit further. How about chapter 8? Let's try verse number 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Did you hear that? What are you going through right now? By the way, I appreciate the prayers for my mother. My mother is precious to me. I love her. My mother is doing extremely well. Cancer numbers are going the direction that we we have prayed for and hoped for. And I thank you people of righteousness for lifting her up in your prayers. You want to know something? The good, the bad. In this life, in the end. So... um, Tell you a little something about my family. We love Oreo cookies. It's 
an understatement. We eat a lot of Oreo cookies in our household. My, my daughter, for years, has, she has really perfected the art of taking an Oreo cookie and dipping it in milk. Now, I grew up without YouTube. And so the way I was, I learned that you dip uh, Oreo cookie in milk was you took your finger, you wash your hands first, right? Of course. And you dip that cookie in milk and you hold it to the point just before it breaks off and falls into the bottom of the cup and you throw it in your milk. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You want it as soft as it will get without it. Well, it's okay if it breaks off because then you drink the milk and there's... Okay. But she has she has taught me that you take a fork and you say, why didn't I? Why didn't I think of this? You take a fork and stick it in the Oreo cookie and dip it in the milk and you don't have to get your fingers in your... I said, honey, where'd you learn that? YouTube? Mm, okay. So... So, I have heard my daughter before leave her room on the other end of the house. I'm talking about five, six, seven, eight years ago. Even she was a, uh, she would have been about six, seven years old, and I could hear. We used to live in a house that had a crawl space, so you could hear the echo of feet going across the house, and I could hear that padding of the feet at four in the morning. It wake you up, and you go, "What is that?" And I could hear her turn the corner and go in the kitchen and go in the pantry. And the unmistakable, you know, Dad, put your fingers in your ears. We used to take the cookies out of the cookie jar and you could put the top back on and they would never know, right? You know what I'm talking about. He used to do that too. But we had cookie jars. Now you have those packages that make that awful noise. And, and you know when somebody's getting the Oreo cookies, Right? Or Chips Ahoy cookies, same way. But she, I could hear her at four in the morning. And I'm thinking, and as a parent, you're supposed to go in there and you're supposed to discipline, but I'm laughing. And I can hear the milk being poured into the glass, and there's my daughter. So we love Oreo cookies. You ever looked and seen what's an Oreo cookie? Read the package sometimes. There's a lot of things in that package or in those description that really, I mean, you might go, that's kind of appealing, like cocoa, right? But how many of you are going to eat cornstarch? When's the last time you went to the pantry and you said, mmm, I'm really excited about a big scoop of cornstarch this evening? But you look at the ingredients of an Oreo cookie, and there's a lot of things in there that might be nice to the palate, and some that you go, mm. but you know what happens when you take the good and the bad and you mix them together? You get a Oreo cookie. In Christ Jesus, it's far greater. Far greater. The good, the bad, all things work together for the good, for them that love God and are called according to His purpose. How many of you teenagers feel sometimes like, I feel like in my school I'm the only one who tries to stand for what is right. I feel like I'm in the minority. Chapter 8 and verse 31, What then shall we say these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know what that verse says? That when you're with God, you're in the majority. You, you stand with God. Confidence. How about verses 37 through 39? 
Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Somebody here needs to hear these things. So with that understanding and with our goal and our focus in mind, what is it that oftentimes hinders our assurance. I I think that there are some teachings out there that seem to be somewhat of based on a pendulum swing. Uh, um, we We don't go to extremes typically, do we? But there are some extremes out there dealing with security and eternal security that have influenced many people's minds. I'll give you one for instance. You've heard of the teaching of one saved, always saved. Did you know amongst the teachings dealing with spiritual security, if you were to take and categorize the ones that seem to be the most insecure positions, did you know that the the teaching of once saved, always saved, that you could put it right there near the top, if not at the top? You say, really? I'll give you this example. If you were studying with someone who believed that mindset about spiritual security, you said, you know... there was this deacon in this denomination, and he was, he was a very active person. Everybody looked up to him. He actually worked with the youth and did so much for that group of people. But you know, he, he got caught up in the world. And sadly, he fell into the world, and he actually denied later on that he even believed in the existence of God. You know what the response typically would be? Well, that person was never what? Saved in the first place. So how would anyone know that they themselves would not become that very individual? See how insecure that is. But you can go to a polar opposite and, and it's, it's like this. Sometimes we can be guilty of throughout the day, well, I'm saved now. Oh no, I took a step, now I'm outside of Christ. I take another step, oh, I'm back inside in Christ, and so on. I want, I want to go to 1 John. We've just got a few minutes left. We need to at least touch on some things in 1 John chapter 1. You see, it's been, it's been a long time since I became a Christian. I remember it like it was yesterday. And... Um, Remember the feeling of what it was like to know when I came up out of that water that I was saved. I knew it with all my heart. Didn't you? Of course. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ had washed away my sins. We need to think on that a lot more. The washing away of sins. And so, time goes by. It wasn't very long. And I sinned again. What about you? And for over some 30 years, I've lived life and you've lived life. And maybe some of you have been Christians for a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, I don't know. A lot of scars, aren't there? Sometimes I might lay in my bed at night and I go, 
you know, I'm there worship when I'm supposed to be, and I support the gospel meetings, and I, I try and influence my neighbors, and I try, and I have failed, failed, failed so often. I keep trying. I hope that I'm going to heaven. Listen closely to what I'm about to say. There's a beautiful thing in the Christian's life that we should continually be reminded of that keeps our focus where it's supposed to be. And that's something that we often call God's second law of pardon. Hear this. The same blood that cleansed you in the waters of baptism is the exact same blood, faithful Christians, that continues to cleanse you when you mess up and you confess your faults and you pray for forgiveness. Don't ever forget it. The power's in the blood. We sing it, do we believe it? 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse number 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. You say, I've heard that. I've I've heard that. I've heard Brother Colley preach that over and over and over and over. Sure. Do you sometimes forget it? Do you sometimes... You you hear me preaching the same, same stuff, the same book. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and, and clean, or forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from how much? Say it again. How much? All unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. In other words, God's ideal for our lives is don't sin. Sin. Listen to verse number, the latter part of verse number one. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I'll speak from a personal standpoint. Oftentimes my distraction is me. Oftentimes my distraction comes when I look at my own frailty and my own humanity. And I forget to keep my eyes on Jesus. Isn't that what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2? looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking where? To Jesus. So verse number 2 says, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Septuagint, that word is very interesting. It is the word mercy seat. That He Himself is the mercy seat for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Paul said, the Holy Spirit 
is testifying. Trouble awaits me. Chains and tribulations. None of these things move me. I'm going to finish my race. I'm not just going to finish my race, but I'm going to do so like this, with joy. It's a choice. It's a mindset. Choose assurance in Christ Jesus. God bless you, faithful brethren. Thank you for your time. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.